You're listening to the Mind Your Business podcast. Today, we're talking all about personality types and business. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 800,000 downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. Know thyself. Both Socrates and Plato believed that knowing thyself first would yield a greater understanding of the nature of what it is to be human. And I believe that knowing yourself will allow you to understand more how you can show up and operate as an entrepreneur and a business owner. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I kind of just compared myself to Socrates and Plato. I'm just saying that's what they said and I agree with it. So we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about that through the construct of Myers-Briggs, who I'm assuming a lot of you guys, most people here have heard of Myers-Briggs. Some of you guys are like, oh yeah, I remember taking that. And some people haven't. So we're going to talk all about that today. The Myers-Briggs type indicator and what that is and how that relates to business. But first, did you know we have just passed over 900,000 downloads with this podcast and that could not be possible without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and if you haven't left a review yet, if you're enjoying the podcast uh, and you haven't left a re review yet, head on over to jameswedmore.com forward slash iTunes or check out the podcast, Mind Your Business Podcast in iTunes to leave a review now. Here's one from listener Nahakum. I love listening to each and every podcast episode. It is uplifting, encouraging, and I'm learning so much about mindset and woo-woo stuff that never seem to be accessible or of any real use. That has changed. I've listened from the beginning and wanted to take the time to say mahalo. Thank you for sharing and bringing us along this journey with you. I am a loyal fan for life. Thank you. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart. This has been such an exciting experience. And this episode is now officially the most downloaded episode of the podcast. So I've got another very special treat for you. In this episode, I'll be help taking you through a process so that you can discover your Myers-Briggs personality type. Once you do that, you're going to want to get clear on what your type is all about, where you'll fit in business and life based on the superpowers that you inherently have. So I've created a very special PDF report for you that I think you're going to love to show you what to do with your personality type to match you in the right skills, to match you with the right activities and actions. You can grab that powerful PDF absolutely free. Just head on over to jameswedmore.com forward slash MB. That is your guide to uncovering your superpowers in business. You're going to want to go ahead and download that right now. All right, so let's get into today's episode. We're talking about personality types and business, and we're going to use the framework of Myers-Briggs. And I know there are some people here that 
I'm already laughing, are going to say, you know, I don't like personality types. I don't think you can put people in a box. I am a snowflake. We're all snowflakes. And I want to say yes, but there are different, there are types of snowflakes. And it's actually, ironically, my personality type that loves personality types because a lot of what I'd like to do is categorize and find the hidden meaning and understanding behind why I am the way I am and why others are the way we are. And so, you know, I'm going to go into a disclaimer in a moment if wherever you are on this, you know, I don't want people to think that when you identify what a type is, it doesn't, it's not about limiting you. It's not about saying this is all you are and nothing else. And you're not unique and not special. It has nothing to do with that. But there are other ways that we identify as who we are right now. Like we can say someone is blonde haired or they're a brunette you know, or you have red hair. Those are just a way. It doesn't mean that they're any type of person or not. It just means they have red hair. And we can do this. The analogy we're going to be using through this is like left hands and right hands. So there are right-handed people and there are left-handed people. Doesn't make you smarter, better, or anything like that if you're right or left-handed. That's really what these tests like the Myers-Briggs test does is are you right-handed or left-handed? Or do you prefer to use your right hand when you're holding a drink or writing or picking something up? But it's instead of physical things like that, it has to do with attitudes and where you get your energy and how you like to spend your time and how you view the world. And when you start to uncover this, you can learn so much about yourself. And then, that's why we start with know thyself, then we can discover a lot about the people around us. I've been geeking out on Myers-Briggs for a very, very long time. Long story short, in about 2008, 2009, I was at a business networking event and a stranger came up to me at the end of the event and he talked to me as if he were a psychic, like he had his crystal ball and he like told me all these things about my life that I was like, how do you know this? you know, like how I schedule my day and why I chose the outfit that I wear and what I like to do for fun and how I spend my time in business and what's important to me. And I'm like, what is this guy like, you know, reading my diary or something? I, who is this guy? And really all he had done was he was speed reading me and he knew my personality type. And once he knew my personality type, he was able to make some pretty impressive assumptions, I guess, about who I am. But what it did for me was open a door for me to discover this on my own. And it was such a powerful awareness for me because I really grew up feeling, and maybe this describes a lot of people we're listening because most of us are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are a little weird in the first place. But I felt very different, especially growing up, you know, than most of the people at school and friends and stuff like that. And, you know, I was a big introvert. I didn't call myself an introvert. I called myself shy, not knowing how to relate to others, very quiet, afraid to speak up. And I went to this place of why don't I do that? Why can't I speak the way these other people speak? Why am I quieter? Why do I hesitate? You know, why do these people are the most gregarious, popular, funny, outgoing people? And I'm like the exact opposite of that. And, and then in like college, when everyone's like doing midterms and studying their tails off and they finish their tests and then they want to go out. Why do people want to go out? I'm exhausted. I just want to be alone in a room and, you know, attach a, you know, like a, a mask of oxygen and just hibernate for a while. I really lived the first 
25 years of my life thinking there was something drastically wrong with me because everywhere I looked, I found evidence that people were the exact opposite. I took this Myers-Briggs test. I came out as INTJ and we will talk about all this moving forward, but two things happened. First of all, sure enough, the INTJ is considered either the or the second, the number one or the number two rarest of the personality types. It's between one and 3% of the population. And so there was a first like confirmation of, okay, yeah, I mean, that would make sense. And that was the first piece of understanding. But then the second one was that understanding that, you know, I was looking at everything that I had as preferences and skills and abilities as a weakness because it was the antithesis of what the majority of other people out there had. And what understanding my Myers-Briggs allowed for me was to uncover or look at these aspects of my life as strength. And I got, I became, at the end of the day, I accepted who I was and really fell in love with that. And that's it. And that's really started the journey. So I don't know if people are hearing that and that even has an impact on them or is even profound. But for me, it was life-changing. For the first time, I was like comfortable with who I was. I finally got to stop questioning why is something wrong with me and went in an instant to, oh my gosh, look at all these cool superpowers I have. I've just been doing the wrong things. I've just been trying to conform to what everybody else is doing. I've been trying to be the extrovert in the room. I need to stop doing that and I need to play in my strengths. And so then from there, what I did, because I just got so fascinated by this, is I took a big journal, giant book, empty white page journal, and there are 16 personality types on it. I wrote one of each of the 16 personality types at the top of each of those 16 pages. And for the next year or so, I think it was like the next 18 months, everyone I came in contact, starting with my parents, my sister, my friends, girlfriends at the time, past girlfriends. Yes, this is true. I went back to my exes. I mean, <laughs> so the side tangent. And I like figured out what their personality type and then tried to explain to them where our relationship went wrong. And here's what you were doing. And this is what was important to you. And, this, and that's just one way to look at it. That's what I was really excited about at the time. But what I did is I created this 16 page journal and I wrote down a series of, it'd be a minimum of five to 10 people for each one of the 16 personality types. And then something really scary happened. You start seeing a lot of similarities, not just in personality, behavior, temperament, style and attitude, but in mannerisms and physical attributes and, you know, the things they say and the things they do and the type of music they like or the career. I mean, it's scary, really. And... I got so good at that that I could just for 90% of the people I, you know, run into, I can usually segment them into the, what I think is pro- they're probably this type or that type. And, you know, where I've taken that from there, which is what makes us all relevant, is that I don't limit my life to this thing is the answer. Okay. I want that to be really clear. I don't say like, oh, I learned Myers-Briggs and I've solved the mysteries of communication and, and interpersonal relationships. That's not it. It's one tool in my tool belt, in my quiver. Okay, but what it has allowed me to do is be more effective in communication and everything. The moment you work with one more person in your life, communication becomes 
the number one most important thing. And what I believe is the one breakdown that we all have in communication is not being able to understand where that person is coming from and what's going on with them. And what this Myers-Briggs stuff allowed for me was for the first time, not just get, ah, this is the way I am and this is why I am the way I am, but also get why other people are the way they are and accept them for who they are, get their world and then find ways to communicate with them where I communicate the things that are important to them, which are of value to them. And this plays out with how we hire employees. I'm going to brag about one thing. I've got one of the greatest teams in the world. They are extraordinary. And I use Myers-Briggs as a way of looking for what position, and we'll get into this probably in the second part of this episode, but like, or the second part, part two, what's the position that needs to be filled? And then what type of personality types will fit that? So for example, we hired someone in-house to run Facebook ads. Facebook ads are very left brain oriented. You've got to be able to, you know, get into the real details of specific campaigns with ad sets and ads within an ad set and all these different little things here. And you have to be more left brain to really enjoy that. So I know that a thinker, which is the T, we'll get into all these letters in a moment, is going to be more, they're going to be more suited for a position like that. So if someone who's an F, the opposite, who's a more like art-centered, creative, right brain person, they would maybe have fun creating ads themselves, like the ad copy and the images and videos, but they don't want to get in there, roll up the sleeves and work with all these click-through rates and conversions and stuff like that. And so I use this in hiring. I use it as in communication within my team. I use it when I'm understanding my avatar. Oh my gosh, you know, you do all these exercises as a business owner to understand who your target audience is. Just cheat. Just pick a personality type. What are the two to three main personality types of the 16 that is your avatar? And you will learn more about them than they know about themselves. And I do this all the time. So it helps with copywriting, crafting our offers, writing emails, you name it. And I even use it when I'm coaching clients. So today I had a coaching call this morning and the person I'm speaking to on the call is a big extrovert, big extrovert. And, you know, and I let him know that and he knows that himself. He's a big extrovert. So my business, because I'm an introvert, is like 90%, 80%, used to be 100% of like automation and stuff that removes me as much as possible from every step of the process. Like the introvert's goal is to like, let the business and the software and other people do everything so they can be removed from it. I told him, I'm like, you're an extrovert. That stuff's going to bore you. That's going to drain you. And it's going to leave you unfulfilled. Your end goal needs to be crafting offers where you get to speak with people on the phone, do workshops, be face to face with people, be the center of attention, do events, do speaking and seminars. And he's like, you're right. You start learning this stuff and I mean, obviously it's important to ask a coaching client like what's important to you, but sometimes you can take it a little bit further and show them like, well, wait a second, wouldn't, wouldn't this be more suited for your type to be doing this instead of that? I just see the benefit of this everywhere and we're going to go into it today. I think in this first episode, all I really want to do is identify what is it. We've kind of talked about some of the benefits. Maybe we'll end with some benefits as well. 
but I really want to make sure that I take you through my test. So we're actually going to uncover what your type is here today on this call. There are tests out there. Here's the thing. I don't want to say I don't recommend them, but they're really tricky because the questions, we sabotage the test. So like one of the questions will be something like, are you often late for appointments? And people will be like, well, I don't like being late. I'm going to say no. And you're skewing the results of the test when you do that. And there's a great one where it's like, are you spontaneous? And people will say, yeah, I'd like to be spontaneous. And they say, yes, no. I even talked to somebody about this in one of my programs and they're like, James, this is hard because I try to plan for spontaneity in my life all the time. And so we can, if we're not careful, some of these questions can kind of lead us down the wrong path. And I've had people take the test and they say, I'm this. And I'm like, no, you're not. So I want to answer what is Myers-Briggs or where did this come from first, if you will allow me. So it originates from the Swiss-born psychiatrist Carl Jung, right? He kind of came from this place suggesting that human behavior was not chaotic and random, but it is in fact predictable. And if something is predictable, it can be classifiable, okay? So he really is the core that created the first version of this, but it were two women. It was a mother and daughter team, Catherine Briggs and her daughter Isabel Briggs Myers, hey, there's the name, Myers-Briggs, who actually are the ones who created it. So they basically took Carl Jung's model, and I believe it was World War II when all the men were away at war and the women had to fill the jobs, and they started using this system in order to, because, you know, women are just smarter than guys, they're like, listen, let's not just do any job, let's figure out what are we good at and where would we be happiest at, and we'll take a test that's going to let us know. That sounds pretty darn smart to me. And so they created the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Test, with the goal really just to be to establish individual preferences. So again, I have to give my big fat disclaimer here. This is about preferences. This is about taking a test to figure out what type of foods you enjoy. Okay, like you already know, but now it's kind of on paper. Okay, and I think one of the biggest questions and biggest things that people look at is they want to know, what's my purpose, right? How many times do you hear that question? How many times have you asked that question? I want to find my purpose. Well, this isn't going to find your purpose, but it's definitely going to point you in the right direction. And for those of you who are living your purpose, you're going to just get chills the whole time because this is going to reaffirm it, okay? Because I believe that everyone does have a purpose And the purpose needs to be your purpose is in line with the things that are natural to you, the things that you're naturally good at, the things that you did when you were a kid. You know, like I look at what I did as a kid when I was a little kid and I went door to door selling avocados and lemons. I mean, I had 15 business ideas before I was 12. I was making, you know, two plus thousand dollars a week in high school selling stuff on the internet. That was me. That's what I did. That's what I was more excited about. And I think there are indicators in that because when we're younger, we just do what we want to do. Most of us, right? If we're not being told, stop doing this, stay in line. Okay. So we're going to uncover that. And I hope for some of you, this is extremely valuable. The other thing I want to do, so this isn't to put you in a box. This isn't to label you. This isn't to limit you. It doesn't at all. It's just to point out what you already really know. Okay. The other thing is that no personality type is right or wrong, better or worse. It just is what it is. Now, I will say one final piece before we get into this. (laughs) 
I've heard people say, oh, I was this and I've changed. And this is actually, there are two schools of thought and I'm very clear on my school of thought. You cannot change. Okay. Some people say, I used to be an introvert when I was younger, but now I'm an extrovert. Or I was an extrovert when I was younger. Now I'm an introvert. And then there's, I said, Susan Cain, her book, Quiet. I think she's the one who talks about ambiverts. I don't believe that there are ambiverts. I don't believe that you can switch. I don't believe that you can be one personality type and you can be the other. If you were born right-handed and you learn to use your left hand, you're still right-handed. And that's the analogy that we're going to use for this. Okay. So when someone talks about a concept like ambivert, they mean they can like ambidextrous. You can use both your right hand and your left hand, but you started with one. You started with your left hand and you learn to use your right as well or almost as well as your left. So you can use both. But where did you come from? What were you naturally born with? That's what we want to look at because everything we're going to do is based on a gradient scale. It's not a absolute. I am not an absolute introvert or an absolute extrovert. It's where do you fall on that scale? And people here listening to this will fall somewhere in the middle, but you're never going to fall at the 50-50 mark. You're either going to be 49% or 51%. And this is what I believe and you can totally disagree, and that's totally fine. I'm just sharing what I believe on this because I don't believe that if you were born right-handed, heaven forbid your right hand gets chopped off, if you get just as good with your left hand, you're still right-handed because that's for some reason what you were born with. So that's my final piece. Are you ready to get into this? Awesome. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is hopefully for people that aren't driving or walking, you can use paper to do this. You don't need to, but it's basically we're playing a game of hangman with four spaces. Okay, every personality type, there's two options for each one of these four temperaments, and that would give you a combination of 16 types. So there's 16 personality types. So the easiest way we do this, we just create four dashes. Okay, and we're going to fill it in with four different letters. Now, we're going to start with identifying what your first letter is. And the way we're going to do this, if you can, if you can draw this out, is I want you to draw like a gas gauge. But on a gas gauge on a car, you have E on all the way on the left, and then you have F or full all the way on the other side. And then you're going to have an arrow depending on where you are, right? You're going to actually draw out four gas gauges. And on this first gas gauge, you're going to put I on the left side and E on the right side. So I is for introvert and E is for extrovert. And what I'm going to do is for a moment, I'm going to describe introvert, which is on the left side. And for a moment, I'm going to describe extrovert, which is on the right side. And what you're going to do is really figure out where on that scale you fall. And here's the thing. If you feel like it's really in the middle, I want you to think back to your formative years, high school, grade school. How were you then? How did you show up? What were your temperaments and preferences then? Because what you're going to discover is a lot of times we kind of have to be formed and molded and, you know, shaped into who we're supposed to be as an adult. Here's the deal. Introverts, are outnumbered three to one by extroverts. So most introverts live their whole life pressured to feel they need to have more friends, go out more often, be more sociable, be more vocal, stop being shy, speak your mind. And so there's a lot of people that have learned how to do that. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, you look at some of these industry leaders, marketing and business, a lot of them are introverts and you would never know. 
I am one of them. Every time I say that, people will say, no way. Well, it's like, this is my personal brand. So I've learned how to, you know, just be a little more extroverted, I guess. Okay, here's what we get. We're going to do the first one. So you got your gas gauge, right? I on the left for introvert. All the way on the other side is E for extrovert. So what this first gas gauge does is measures where you get your energy. That's it. Having a fear of public speaking, having a fear of asking a girl out on a date has nothing to do with introversion or extroversions. I know plenty of extroverts who don't like speaking on stage. Okay, it's nothing to do with that. But what it does have everything to do with is where you get your energy from, from the internal world, like your thoughts, your ideas, your imagination. Maybe that's in reading a book, meditating, reading, writing. That's our introvert quality. While our extroverts are going to get a lot more energy from, they get stimulated by being around people. They get more creative, more energy, more ideas when they talk and interact with other people. Okay. Let's take a specific look at some of the indicators that you might be an introvert. So I think a big thing is that introverts think first and speak second. They're not inclined to just abruptly open their mouth and just say the first thing that comes to mind, especially when it's a stranger. Like when you're standing at line in the bank, you're not the type of person that just starts talking to the person next to you. Like beautiful day outside, isn't it? You're kind of like, should I talk to this person? They, they seem nice. I think, what should I say? Maybe I'll ask them about the weather, right? That's what an introvert does. They're going to spend more time thinking about talking than actually talking. They also enjoy peace and quiet. They love alone time. They feel recharged by that alone time. They're also considered great listeners. So if you've ever gotten a compliment that you're a great listener, chances are you're an introvert. They can be called shy. Other people will call them shy. I've been in a room hanging out with people and someone else will say like, was he the shy, quiet guy? And I'm like, wait, what? I, I spoke up. Come on. That wasn't enough for you guys. You know, why are you calling me shy? So you guys know I'm definitely on the I side. Here was a big one for me when it comes to introverts. They would choose to hang out in a small group of people. They love small gatherings. You know, they're the people that would like rather just do dinner with a couple friends or like play a game at someone's house for, you know, like a small party versus like going to a club or a big, you know, loud event with a hundred people. Even my, my fiance and I were getting married in two months and our wedding is like, how do we make our wedding as small as possible? My bachelor weekend that we're going whitewater rafting, we came up with a list of everyone and there's like 16 guys that were inviting. And I told my best man, I'm like, honestly, if it's just me, you, and one other person who I you know, said was our other really good friend, I was like, I'll be okay with that. If it's just us three, I'm actually more excited about that. Not that I don't, you know, like not like any of those people there. I just get more excited about like, oh, just like three or four guys. That's my jam. Okay. So these are some qualities of introverts. They also believe talk is cheap. That's a big one. They're the first ones to say, hey, actions speak louder than words. That's the introvert. Before you write down where your needle lies on this gauge, this extrovert and introvert gauge, and let's take a moment and describe the extrovert. Obviously, they, they're the opposite of this. They tend to talk first and think later. I love hanging out, especially when I was younger and really shy. I loved hanging out with my extrovert friends because if we go somewhere new or different, they can just, you know, talk to anybody and start up conversations and introduce themselves to anybody. And, you know, they're the person in line at the bank like, hey, how's that weather? You know, extroverts also tend to not just have a lot more friends, but like value that as something that's really important to them and even letting other people know that like that's a measure of 
valor in a way, like all the friends that they have. But I feel like an introvert goes through life with like one to two people who they call their closest friends. When they call someone a close friend, it is someone that they would die for. I feel like, and this is my opinion on this, putting a little bit of my opinion into it, is that an extrovert calls people close friends when they're really just like more of acquaintances. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of extroverts that say that I'm a, their good friend. I'm like, what? We've hung out twice. So they're probably perceived from an introvert standpoint as like, they have a lot of acquaintances, but the extrovert would probably say that these are good friends. So, oh, here's one. Extroverts aren't as affected by external stimuli as much as an introvert is. So they could read in a loud, crowded place. They could be doing an activity that requires concentration with other activities going by, and it doesn't affect them. It's not hard for them to continue with that. You know, I have some extroverted friends who are business owners and entrepreneurs, and they love working. Not just can they do that, but they love working in environments where there's external stimulus all around. So they'll be a part of like they'll work at a coffee shop or a restaurant or like, you know, people work at like a private club, like Soho house. Cause they love to be around that energy. You know, my office is in the back of our office by it's its own room. I locked in there by myself and the door is closed and it's like, I need to focus. I need to concentrate. I can't have distractions. Extroverts definitely like that. They definitely find listening more difficult than talking at times. I think that's a big one. And I think the other thing, I think there's a big difference between extroverts and introverts is, and I want to say this without it sounding bad, it will sound bad coming from an introvert's mouth, but extroverts tend to need more affirmation, more pats on the back or accolades and acknowledgement than the introvert does. In fact, it's very fascinating, but the introvert kind of like steers away from that where they kind of feel like it's phony if someone's giving them praise and they also have a hard time giving praise themselves. This is the introvert. They have a hard time giving it because they feel like it's kind of phony and ingenuine. And I realized that was something I really had to develop was being able to acknowledge and praise others. So since introverts are more about ideas, I believe they become more committed to the project and it's more about the end result. It's more about what they're creating. And so they commit themselves to the project as like a sense of duty. So it's not about them in the first place. While the extrovert, which is why they tend to be more, you know, outward roles, like the salesperson, the person on stage or the face and stuff like that, there is that need for more acknowledgement. So definitely, I mean, these are already things to, if you got a, a bunch of extroverts on your team, like, are you doing enough to acknowledge them and stuff? So anyways, I want to move on. This is the first letter. So hopefully you've got an, either an E or an I here, even if it's right down near the middle, try and pick one. Okay. And it's okay if you can't yet, cause we can come back to it and think about it. But let's talk about the next letter, which is asking whether or not you are a sensor, which is an S or an intuitive, which is an N. So we use N for intuitive because the I is already taken in the introvert. So this second category is really asking how we see the world, how we take in information, the lens in which we experience life. And this can be one of the most challenging ones to describe because when you're wearing a lens, you don't know that you're wearing a lens. You know, just like how a fish doesn't know that it's in water, right? And so this can be really challenging to describe and it can be really challenging to identify. However, I think out of all of the four temperaments, the S or N can have the biggest impact on who we are and how we communicate because they are so drastically different. And I do believe about 60 to 70% of at least the U.S. population, which I 
would also assume is a relatively similar proportion of the population are sensors. So you're going to have more sensors than intuitives. So let's do another gas gauge with S on the left side of our gauge and N for intuitive on the right side. And I'm going to describe a sensor for a little bit. I'm going to describe an intuitive for a little bit. We're going to find out where you are on that. Okay, so let's talk about a sensor. Sensors prefer specific answers to specific questions. They are very detail-oriented. So they're the person who's going to get irritated when you ask, if you're a sensor, you ask the time. The sensor asks the time, and the response is like, it's a little bit before 4. They want to know <laughs> 3.52. They want a specific answer to everything. You know, so when we talk about sensor, we're dealing with the senses, the five senses. So they love jobs and tasks that yield a tangible result. They want to see it, touch it, feel it, and know that it's done. They're also the type of person that love mastery. Okay, so to contrast that with the intuitive, the intuitives are much more like, I want to see if I can do this. Okay, I can do it. Great, I'm bored. I want to move on to the next one, which is why you actually find a lot of entrepreneurs are intuitives because I'm not saying this is good or bad. It just is, is that an intuitive kind of wants to play this game of like, I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if I could make this happen. And that's what they get more excited about versus a sensor wants to fall in love with mastering one thing for the rest of their life. They want to identify with being the best at this. So for example, for our wedding, I'm having a custom suit tailored and I'm pretty sure that my tailor is a sensor, not just because he has an attention to detail, but that he has dedicated his life to being a tailor. I mean, in 30 years, he is going to be doing relatively the same thing, just on a bigger, grander scheme, grander level, right? He will be better at what he does. He's already extraordinary at what he does, but it's just going to be at a whole nother level. But he'll still be in that same role. Whereas the intuitive would kind of come in and be like, oh, cool, I can design suits. What else can I do? And they could be off to something that has no correlation to making suits. You know, they could be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, just start selling fabric wholesale or I'm going to create a course on how to start your own apparel business or something. You know what I mean? They're going to be off onto the next thing. Let me try this. Let me try that. But going back to the sensors, they definitely there's that mastery of the tangible. They definitely would rather work with facts and figures than ideas and theories. They're not a big fan of the theory. They want to see the proof. They're the person that says, I'll believe it when I see it. And they think things like fantasy and imagination are kind of a dirty word. And they don't really like people that spend too much time in La La Land, <laughs> which I am someone who loves that. Here's something that is really fascinating. This one was a big one because my fiance Chelsea is a censor and I asked her this question. Censors tend to read when they pick up a magazine, they'll read it from cover to cover and they kind of think it's annoying and frustrating when someone doesn't. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's so me. And I'm like, well, I know because you're a censor. They are very literal. So there's usually a lot of, questions of like, wait, are you being serious or is that a joke? They're also, here's something else. Sensors tend to be more athletic. It's not an absolute, but this is a thing. If you look at body types, especially for men, you got like a big guy, like the rock type body type, you know, Dwayne Johnson, like I'm 99% sure without ever talking to him or knowing his personality, he's a sensor because sensors tend to be more, well, they're more in the body as it is. So sensors tend to be things like dancers 
athletes, I mean, all dancers are sensors, you know, if someone who has dedicated their life to dance because dance is a way that they feel in their body and in the moment and all sensors love that. So you may not have it as a profession, but there are people that, you know, you've seen those like, so you think you can dance or the step up type movies talk about what it's like to be a dancer. And someone like me watches them and be like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, like, what? Why is that? That's what you want to do with your life? And to a sensor that's like, yes, yes, absolutely. That's what I'm looking for. And that's a sensor. So hopefully that's enough for a sensor. I want to move to the intuitive. This is the difference between the athlete is the sensor and the like <laughs> absent-minded professor is the intuitive. So instead of dealing with the senses, they can be accused definitely and seen as being a bit absent-minded. Poor Chelsea, like she's got to remind me to put my shoes on the right feet all the time. And she knows like I can't make simple decisions intuitives get very frustrated by the details. They can become very easily aggravated and agitated and overwhelmed by details. I can't answer a lot of her questions. It's really funny. And she's, I need to know the specifics. So it's like, you know, we run into that with communication with a sensor versus an intuitive. And now she just knows like, just whatever answer you come up with is going to be the right answer and leave me out of it. But she sees that as absent-minded. An intuitive doesn't see it as absent-minded. We just see it as how we are, but they would. Intuitives are really future-oriented. Sensors are here and now. Intuitives are big picture, future-oriented. My favorite word in the dictionary, like I get lit up by the word possibility. When you talk about limitless potential possibility, like that's what I get excited about. And that's usually what an intuitive does. And then the biggest thing is that Intuitives look for connection, not connection in people, but just connection in general. So this can relate to people, things, or ideas. So for example, I remember a story of how the first drive-through, like drive-through fast food restaurant, was invented by a guy who was at the drive-through for a bank. And he said, this could work for a restaurant. That is an intuitive right there. They can make a connection with two completely unlike things, right? So they can, because a bank and food are like as far apart as you can ever imagine, but there used to be, there aren't any more, I guess, because it was because like bank robbers and stuff, but there used to be like a lot of drive-through bank tellers, to deposit your checks and stuff. And that's where the origin of the fast food drive through came from. That's an intuitive. They can draw a connection with two completely unlike things. An extrovert who is also an intuitive makes connections with people. They are what we call connectors. So they go, oh, you know who you remind me of? Do you know who you would love? Blah, blah, blah. And they connect people because they see connections between things. They seek connection between things. That's why I love the Myers-Briggs because I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for connections. I'm looking for the meaning behind it. That's an intuitive thing. And so if you're not really into it this much and you're like, I don't see the relevant of it, that already tends to be that's mostly sensors. Like a lot of people that have said like, this is dumb. I don't want to waste my time with this are usually sensors. It's not bad or wrong. It just is what I've experienced in my experience. So what are you? I want to move on to the third one. We're going to do our third gas gauge. It's either a T or an F. T on the left, F on the right. Okay. 
And it's also when you're doing this, like I'm really curious to see where people's, you know, gauge is going up. You know, is it all the way to the end or because I'm all the way on the end? I am massive 100 percent. And the older I get, the more and I'm becoming for the introvert. I started out all the way with the introvert and I'm very much moved towards the middle. I'm still massively on the eye part. But it's also it'd be nice to look at where you fall on that. Let's look at the third one, though. Thinker on the left, feeler on the right. T on the left, F on the right. This is how we make decisions. Okay. So basically, are we making decisions from our brain or our heart? Are we making left brain decisions or right brain decisions? Okay. That's what we're asking here. Now, you might already have an answer. Oh, gosh, I'm this, I'm that. But we're going to still go through this process a little bit. Let's see if you're a thinker. Thinkers can be much more of the cool, calm, collected person when everyone else is going nuts. Um, that's just one of their, you know, benefits when it comes to like a dispute, an argument or a decision that has to be made, they're going to look for what is fair and truthful rather than what will make people happy. So they're the people that will choose fairness over happiness. You know, a decision might upset people, but they know that it's fair. So they do make good judges. Right. But they also make the T is also like for being a manager. I think that's probably you got to be a T because good managers have to make tough decisions. And I always like my favorite show in the world is The Office. And there's all these episodes of The Office where Michael Scott cannot make a decision to save his life because he's afraid he's going to upset one person in the office. And you're like, he's a big F. He wants everyone to be his friend. He doesn't want anybody upset. You know, so thinker is willing to make that decision regardless of how it makes people feel. He won't take into account their personal story or background. He'll fire somebody, you know, even if they have three kids and they're going to have to go on welfare. If it's like, hey, I told you not to do this. You did it. I have to let you go. And they're going to be much more comfortable with doing that. I'm not saying a feeler can't do that. And I'm not saying a thinker can't be more of an empath, but they can do that better. They can remove emotion from decision-making process more easily. So that end, it means it's more important to be right than it is to be liked. They value righteousness and truth more than friendship. I mean, you know, especially in a workplace, it's like we're not here to, you know, Michael Scott would say like, work is like a family. (laughs) You know, he kind of says the opposite of like every management books, which is great. So also... So this left brain side is they are more mathematical, more scientific, more left brain in general. So if you look back to high school, what subjects did you thrive in? Did you love math? Because not because math is boring for everybody. Okay. But there's a lot of people that liked math because it was predictable. It was like, it doesn't change. One plus one will always equal two. But when I go write this essay for this teacher, if she's in a bad mood, I get a C. This is BS. Like I remember people talking about things like this. It's so subjective. Like my teacher's in a bad mood or my handwriting isn't good enough for her and I don't get the same grade that Susie got and my paper's better. How are we supposed to really, but math, if the question is what's one plus one, it doesn't matter what my handwriting looks like. It doesn't matter what mood the teacher's in. It always equals two. And there are kids, that was some of us, that that's the stand we took. Those are thinkers because they're looking at the righteousness of the, objectivity of it. And so they do tend to pursue strengths of, you know, science, math, numbers. They're good with numbers. They're not bad with numbers. So those are some things, logical and scientific. Let's talk about a feeler. This is the other side. So they're pretty much on the opposite side of that. When they make a good decision, 
they make a good decision based on, they really take into the account of everyone's feelings or others' feelings. Feelers, they're empaths. They're really good at getting into the other shoes of other people, understanding their world, understanding what they're going through, which makes them good listeners as well. It makes them someone who's easy to talk to, someone who's easy to understand and sympathize. Um, and they'll tend to overextend um, themselves in, other to, in order to meet people's needs. These are the people that, that will admit after 30 years of doing so that they have put themselves last after everyone in their life. These are the ones that will, the moms who will put everybody, their kids, their, their husband, their friends, the, the teachers, the PTA meetings, like the, all that stuff goes first and they go last. And then after like 20 years of doing that, they go enough is enough. But that's their natural way of showing up is they're the person that they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So, you know, if we talk about the thinker wanting to be right, the feeler is the first one to take something back or apologize if they have offended or hurt someone in any way. They're usually the first ones who can apologize. Who can like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. You know, they're, they're, they're much more easy to do that. Um, so they are going to, and they're not big confrontation people. Um, usually. Okay. Um, usually sometimes, sometimes the feeler, the emotions can get the best of them and they can be pretty, you know, like emotional people at times, not all of them. So it's either, that's just when it goes unchecked, you know, like very big emotional people means that, you know, when you talk about people where, uh, you hear the phrase, like she wears her heart on her sleeve or he wears his heart on his sleeve, right? That's a feeler, but they prefer harmony over clarity. Now, before we go any further, I've described a little bit about the feeler and the thinker. And this is, there's a challenge here that happens with this one is when people feel that they are both. I want to say, this is how you deal with this one, because what we have to take into account is that some of us listening are guys and some of us are girls. And I remember from my psychology 101 class that this is proven that guys tend to make more decisions based off of logic and women tend to make more decisions based off emotion. So if you are a female and you feel really both, that means you might be a thinker because as a female, you've got an emotional foundation of understanding emotions and empathy and being able to connect better with people. But you've also got this rational, logical thinker side. And if you're a guy that you feel like you have both, well, remember, guys innately, all men have that logical foundation. But then you also feel like, yeah, I also feel like I have this like real empath, like emotional or creative or easy to connect type fun loving. When you talk about when girls talk about a guy who's a big teddy bear, always an F. Those are softer men, like both physically and emotionally. You know, this is why I'm talking about where you start to see physical traits. You see someone who is like normally, of course, you can like always, you know, mold your body if you work out hard enough. But there are guys that are just like those, you know, the Adonis male, the, the like ato atomically correct, you know, chiseled guy. Those are usually and they're, they're, they're very rigid and tall and standing up straight. Those are usually left brain thinker people. I mean, they're um, what's going on internally reflects externally, right? So if you're a guy and you're feeling like you've got that emotional component that like, oh, I really feel both, probably an F, okay? 
that's where it gets tricky. So anyways, that's the T or the F. This is how we make decisions. Are they more logical or emotional? All right, let's move on to our final gas gauge, our final letter. I know this is going really long, but hopefully you're finding it valuable. Hopefully you're identifying a little bit about yourself. This is either going to be the P on the left or the J on the right. Now, P is for perceiver and J is for judger. Big asterisk next to this one. Ignore the words. If you're a perce- I've had people say, oh, I'm a perceiver. I'm so good at perceiving things. It's not what this means. J as in, I don't judge people at all. I'm not a judger. This has nothing to do with it. And by the way, the intuitive does not mean you are intuitive like you can read minds. The only ones that are accurate are thinker and feeler, really. All these other are just words. I don't, perceiver does not mean you're good at perceiving and judging doesn't mean you judge people. So get that out of your head before you make this decision. But gas gauge, P on the left, J on the right. Are you a perceiver or a judger? Okay, so this is how you structure your day and your life. So let's talk a little bit about the perceiver. Perceivers tend to be creative. They tend to be spontaneous. They're really good at starting projects. They can also be easily distracted. They're not big planners. They are, you know, they're action takers too. They're definitely not more planners. They're people that will in their life tend to be seen by others as messy and unorganized. However, they don't feel that they are messy and unorganized. So a P's car, a perceiver's car is usually like pretty messy. Their room, pretty messy, like stuff everywhere. However, they know where everything is. So it's not messy to them. It's like order within the chaos. Like they know where, oh no, I know where that shirt is, you know, but everyone who comes in is like, so it's really, if it, do people come to you and say like, you're really, oh man, you need to clean up your room. Like, well, gosh, like how do you get anything done with all clean off your desk? Right? Like, you know, you can find someone on Instagram. That's the opposite of that. You'll see these people that are like everything on their desk is so perfectly placed. It has this very specific place and it doesn't get out of order. Those are J's, right? The P is what I like to call to be really stereotypical on the super end of the P. The P is the hippie. The P is the up for anything, super creative, spontaneous. P's also from a physical standpoint, look more, I don't want to use the word disheveled, but it's true. Like they're for a guy, you like look at a guy who has either longer hair or messy hair. Like the style of their hair is a messy, even if it's intentional, like it's a messier haircut. It's longer. It's kind of doing its own thing, but longer hair or whatever, especially on guys, women wearing more flowy clothing, like, do you ever see women that wear very, like, not mismatched, but, like, almost like, oh, okay, you're doing this, but this thing's flowing out here, and you've got this jewelry hanging down here, and, like, every time they move, it makes jingles and noises and all these moving parts, because there isn't an order or a structure to even getting dressed. They experience time differently. The P and the J's experience time extremely differently. J's are very linear with time. You have 12 hours in a day. I have the same amount of time as you, and this is exactly what I'm going to do with each every minute. P is like, I've got all the time in the world. They experience time through a lens of abundance, which is why they're always late and, and don't think they're late and don't know why that's a problem that they're late. And Jay's experience time through a lens of linear scarcity of time. If you are always saying, I don't have enough time, even the moment you get up in the morning, you're probably Jay. So Jay's now are very structured. They love to-do lists. They love crossing things off the to-do list. They're very linear, structured, they are task finishers, okay? So I spent more time on the P because, you know, 
The J is the opposite of that. There are more J's than P's. P's are a, I think like 30% of population. There's definitely way more J's. You know, you look at what society creates as what is societal norms, what's traditional. And it's usually because there's a majority of that type in the place. So the P is always the person who's like against the man. And you see that show up with people. So what are you, P or J? Go ahead, take a moment and circle or identify which one of those letters most resonates with you. Are you a more of a perceiver or more of a judger? And if you did that, you should now have, hopefully, fingers crossed, four letters. Now, you might not know what these letters mean, and that's okay. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Um, but I just want to start by saying that this episode is our most downloaded episode and I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, students, listeners, customers, my team, my family go through this process and come up with their letters. Um, so it is fairly accurate and it's fairly easy. So hopefully you've, you've got them down to four. Now here's, here's the thing is if, if you were have a question, you know, you were like, ah, I can't decide if I was N or S or I or E. What you're going to do is you're going to come up with all the combinations. Like if it was an N or S, you're going to write, okay, I'm I N T J and I S T J. Okay. That's, this is how you're going to solve whether or not you're one or the other. So if you're a question on one of your letters or two of your letters, you're just write out all the four letter combinations that are possible. Um, and you're going to start to Google the different types. In fact, if you already have your four and you're like, I am 100%, I am ESTP. What you're going to do at this point, I got a few homework assignments. The first thing is to just do a Google search for the type. If you have multiple types that you've come out with right now, Google all of them to see which one represents you the most because they all four letters kind of come together to create a very unique, uh, dynamic, um, tapestry of who you are. Okay. So they all four letters play together to create a unique type. So you're going to want to start with that Google search. And then there's two things. The very next episode of this podcast, which will link up in the show notes as well, or you can just click the next button is part two of this training, which is all designed to show you what's next. What, what does that mean about my type? What, what does that mean about me and, and where my strengths are, my superpowers, as I like to say, and where I should be spending my time, where my downfalls are. Look, we've all got a quote unquote shadow side. We've got, all got areas of weakness. Uh, I'm doing those in air quotes, things that we need to work on, things that are not our zone of genius. I am not a detailed person. So I uh, look at big picture and I get people around me who are detail oriented that can spot the things that I can't see. No one is perfect in every area of life and has no weaknesses. We all do. We all have strengths and weaknesses. So the better we can identify that, the quicker we can work in our zone of genius and we can delegate, outsource, automate, or let go of the things that are not. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. But if you haven't downloaded my Uncover Your Superpowers PDF, it's absolutely free. You're going to love it. Go do that now. It's jameswoodmore.com forward slash MB. Download that PDF and start going through it to uncover exactly what your type is and which one of the four categories that you fall into for the type of uh, one of four types of entrepreneurs that you are. It's a really fascinating read and I think you're going to like it. Uh, and that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got value. I hope you learned a little bit about yourself. If not, you at least know you're these four letters. You're going to Google those four letters. And in the very next episode, 
we're going to take the next step, dive a little bit deeper to discover what it means to be one of these types. So stay tuned. For 10 years now, I've made my living selling digital courses, membership subscriptions, and group coaching. I've been able to make millions of dollars. Yet even better, I've been able to help thousands upon thousands of students with my training. Yet I've never taught my system on how to actually get started, how to choose the right niche, the right product, the right tools, and the right plan. Until now. The information marketing industry is booming now more than ever. And if you've been sitting on the sidelines waiting to get in, well, now is your time. For the next eight weeks, I'm going to be delivering a brand new training course live showing exactly how to get started and get profitable, even if you have no list, no product, or no idea. And the best part is it's 100% free. All you have to do is request an invite to my private Facebook group. Every week, I'll broadcast a live, in-depth training with homework, action items, and of course, Q&A. So to request access to my private group now and join the training absolutely free, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash free. That's www.jameswedmore.com forward slash free. And I'll see you there.